We're kicking off a brand new series called Stones, and I think I'm going to ask everybody to come get one. Come on. Don't mug each other. Uh, should we go section by section? How do you do this in a post-COVID world? I don't know. This section, y'all come first. Just come grab a stone and just take it back to your seat. And we got a little bit of time. We'll make it work. This is, this is going to make some compelling video, isn't it? Yeah, just grab one. Take it back. There you go. I don't want to give you an incentive to walk slower, but the more time it takes, the less time I can preach. I'm kidding. I'm going to preach anyway. Can you, can everybody, yeah. How's the dog going to carry one back? <laughs> Wouldn't be the first time the dog chewed a rock. Okay, so far so good. We're doing well. Okay, y'all want to come grab one really quick? So I'll tell you this. We talked about, um, I can't tell you how many times we went round and round about how best to do this. The first plan was to put a rock in your chair. And then I was like, do we want to give people weapons? I'm not sure. And then we talked about, like, maybe doing something like this, but after the service. And now I'm realizing I am actually giving you weapons. Um, <laughs> all right. Good job, y'all. What's happening? Fuzzy head. What's up? What's up? Jude is awesome. Okay, y'all ready? This section, you want to come? Now, listen, kids in the house, I'm trusting you to keep your parents from throwing this rock. You're doing great. You're doing fantastic. Good job. I mean, really, when's the last time you went to church and the pastor's like, just come get something that could be violent? It's fun. Yeah, I know. I know. That's why I was hesitant. <laughs> I'm watching, by the way, I'm watching faces. I can tell the ones that are like, <laughs> and I'm going to preach on the other side of the church from where those people are sitting. So, all right, last section. Y'all ready? I'm just thankful we have enough. I'm so glad we do. Hmm, well, aren't you glad you came to the 9 o'clock? Good job. Oh, this is almost the first thing you've done as a married couple. Let's get newlyweds right here, y'all. Come on. So if we see you throwing those at each other, hmm, <laughs> no, that won't happen. Good job. Can you reach up there? You can hop up on the pot. There you go. Get you a good one. Charlie Brown Thanksgiving, I got a rock. So I want to say this. Um, the idea for this, well, I'll give you a couple. I'd I, I like for you to know kind of the thinking behind the series, right? So my first thought was, and this will probably be the last time that I reference the election because I'm done, right? <laughs> but can I get an amen on that? Yeah. Um, but the first thing I thought was, on the first Sunday after arguably the most divisive election season we've ever seen in our lives, 
We should probably talk about having stones in our hands, which is why I was hesitant to give you stones, because I thought we might want to throw them at each other. But we should do a series on stones, and we should talk about what we, sh- what we can do with these other than what we'll talk about in just a minute. Now, there's also this passage in Exodus, chapter 4, verse 2. You don't have to turn there. It's, the, it's when God called Moses to go set his people free. So in Exodus chapter 3, he sees the burning bush, right? And it, the Bible says this, and I love this. I can't take the time to teach on this, but it says that he turned aside to see why that bush was burning and not burning up. And I will just submit humbly that as Christians, too often God gives us a sign and we don't even bother to turn away from what we're doing to take notice of it. But the Bible says that he turned aside from what he was doing. He gave his attention to it, and then that's how God called him to go set his people free, right? So if you've seen Charlton Heston, you know that's probably nothing like what it was like. But, you know, I don't think Moses was that compelling of a figure, but I think he was called by God to do what he did. And then we get to the part of Moses where I can relate, right? Where he's like, but but God. And I can relate to that. Now, I know what you might think about me. Oh, you're such a great speaker. But, I mean, every Sunday it's like, but God, are you sure you want me? And so as he's wrestling through this with God, God asked him a question in Exodus chapter 4, verse 2. And it's never gotten out of my spirit. I mean, the first time I read it, it years ago. I think this is the question that God always asks us. And here's the question that he asks. And this is the launching off point for this whole series. He said, Moses, what's that in your hand? Now, Moses didn't have a rock. He had a staff. But I love how Moses told God all the reasons he couldn't be used. And God's response to him was, but what do you got? Well, I, I got a rock. I got a staff. I got, what do you have? Well, I don't have a million dollars. Well, what do you have? I got 10. Let's start there, right? Well, I can't sing as well as some people, but I can sing, and I'm really good in the shower, and I'm awesome in the car when there's nobody with me. Well, let's start there, right? And so this morning, I want you, I want you to look at that rock, and I want you to think about this as we talk about that question. What's in your hand? And it dawned on me That at the end of this year, all of us are holding these. Some of us are throwing them. The little bit that I get on social media, it's a rock fest. Right? And so let's see, is it possible that God has something different in mind that we could do with these stones? Now, I want you to turn to John chapter 8. We're going to be in verses 1 through 11. While you're turning there or scrolling there, however you get to that section, I want to quickly explain to you, and i got to go quick, right? i got to quickly explain to you what you're going to see when you get there. Depending on the translation that you use, you could see brackets around this section. You might actually turn to this in your Bible and not find this section, and it's because it's in the footnotes. And what you'll find is, is something that says basically this. This section of Scripture that we're getting ready to read is not found in the earliest manuscripts of the Bible. Now, when you read that, your first question should be, then why is it in my Bible? Can I trust the Bible? 100%. Let me tell you why it's included in your Bible, but why it has those brackets or why it has that footnote. So this is, the Bible was, was passed down 
orally for most of, before we got the written Bible, right? So all this story was passed down orally throughout the years. And then finally in the third century, it was included in something written. And then it was included in the sixth century trans manuscript of John's gospel. Okay, so over the years, it's a story that was told. And then it wasn't included in the earliest manuscripts, but then from like the 6th century on, there are so many manuscript pieces of the New Testament. How many of you went to high school? Raise your hand. I didn't ask if you graduated, just went. You ever heard of a guy named Shakespeare? What's his most famous work? Romeo and Juliet? We don't know that he wrote it. I mean, I don't want to tick the teachers off. But there's more evidence manuscript-wise that the Bible was written by the, by the people that God said wrote it than there is that Shakespeare wrote Romeo and Juliet. Now, go to your high school English teacher and tell her or him that Shakespeare did not write Romeo and Juliet. They will give you so much homework, right? So just because it's not included in the earliest ones, as the years went on, there was so much weight behind how it had been passed down orally and then how many manuscripts it was in later on that the reason it's in your Bible is because they decided that it was it had been a true story and that there was nothing in this story that was inconsistent with the character of Jesus now I don't know who your favorite Bible Bible teachers are I got a couple of them but usually I go to those teachers and I'm like, well, if they say this passage is okay, then I guess we're good, right? So I'll just throw out the name John Piper because a lot of us know John Piper. Here's what John Piper said about this passage when he preached on this passage. He said, I can preach on this passage because there's nothing in the story that would not still be in the Bible if this story was not in the Bible. So we're going to talk about this story. We're going to talk about what we read and what we learn here. And there's nothing in this story. Like if you came to me tomorrow and said, that shouldn't be in the Bible, then I'd be like, well, then let's still talk about what we talked about because the truth is in the Bible. Make sense? Okay, that was. Anyway, what's in your hand? That stone, you're, you're thinking about throwing it at me right now. I can just, I feel it, right? So here we go. John chapter 8, verses 1 through 11. This is one of the craziest sections of Scripture in the whole Bible. Let's read it. Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives, but early the next morning he was back again at the temple. A crowd soon gathered, and he sat down and taught them. And as he was speaking, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. Everybody say, in the act. Yeah. Y'all can talk about that at lunch. They put her in front of the crowd. Caught in the act, put in front. Verse 4, teacher, they said to Jesus, the woman was caught in the act of adultery, second time we've heard that, the law of Moses says to stone her. What do you say? Aren't you glad you're not Jesus right now? Talk about an unanswerable question. Verse 6, they were trying to trap him into saying something that they could use against him, but Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. In other words, he ignored them and doodled. That will make religious people very angry. They kept demanding an answer, so he stood up again and said, All right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. I do want to highlight that the way those Greek words are put together, it doesn't mean if you're perfect and have never sinned. It means if you've never committed this sin. Jesus just has a way, doesn't he, <laughs> of just ruining everything and making it about us. 
Like, I just want to be mad at that person. He's like, well, if you've never committed the sin at them that they committed that you're mad about, then you can go ahead and throw that stone. When the accusers heard this, oh, then he stooped down again and wrote in the dust. When the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest, until only Jesus was left at the middle of the crowd with the woman. Nobody knows what Jesus wrote in the dirt. The best theory that I've ever heard is that he just started writing women's names. And they were the women that these Pharisees had been with that were not their wives. And he started with the oldest person. And as they saw the names, they were like, ooh, Julie. Yeah, I'm out. And just one by one, from the oldest to the youngest, they left. I don't know. He might have written something else. It doesn't matter. Just an interesting theory. And only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. Verse 10, then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, neither do I go and sin no more. Father, I'm asking that you would help me to speak clearly and to speak um, somewhat quickly, that we would get the heart of this passage into our hearts. God, you are calling the church in America to be the healers of a gap that only you can bridge. And you did it at the cross. We get to be the ones that proclaim that message. And before we can do that, I know this morning, God, you're looking at us and you're just calling us out. What's in your hand? What do you want to do with that rock? Who do you want to throw that stone at? And I'm praying that this morning as we study this passage, you would arrest our hearts, God, and point us back to the greatest act of forgiveness this world has ever seen. In your name, Jesus, amen. All right, so um, Jesus, is, of course, he's teaching. We just read this. And while he's teaching, he's interrupted with this woman who was caught in the act of adultery. Um, I don't want to go into all that. I mean, that could be so graphic, but let's just say because it was in the act, she's probably not clothed. She's brought out. She's put in front of that whole crowd. So they're, they're, they're shaming her. I could talk all day long, listen, about what it feels like to be caught in the act. I have stories that I could tell you all day long about when I've been caught in the act of something I wasn't supposed to do. But what I'd rather talk about this morning is what it feels like when you catch somebody in the act. Parents, you ever caught your kids doing something they, sh- they weren't supposed to do? <laughs> Never. <laughs> I will say this. Sometimes the older people get, when you catch them, if maybe you're a boss, you ever caught your employees not doing what they're supposed to do? You ever caught somebody that you pay stealing from you? If you've ever caught somebody in the act, I mean red-handed, there's nowhere for them to hide. How'd you feel in that moment? And that's what I want to talk about this morning. I don't want you for a second yet to put yourself in the place of this woman. I want you to put yourself in the place of the Pharisees. I want you to hold that stone in your hand. And if you've ever caught somebody doing something wrong and you wanted to make sure that they paid for it, then you know what it feels like to start clinching this thing, right? You know when you catch somebody who has done something wrong, especially if it was wrong against you, the one thing you want in that moment is punishment for them. Can I just submit this? Maybe it's because I'm a guy, but I think the most natural thing to do with a stone is throw it. 
I mean, I, I would guess most of us in the room have already kind of felt this, and we've already started thinking, how far could I throw this? Or if we had, if we had a river near us, we would have picked up a much smaller stone, a flatter stone, because we would want to skip that stone, right? That's, that's how we are. That's the most natural thing in the world is to take this stone and throw it. So can I just submit this? Because it's natural to want to throw a stone, maybe we should be more careful about what we pick up. Maybe the best thing is to make sure we don't have this in our hand, right? We're getting ready to read this story, and it seems like it's headed towards a stoning, but it stops. And it stops because, spoiler alert, Jesus shows up. Jesus changed the outcome. And the question I want to ask is, what made Jesus different? What made Jesus the one that didn't want to see a stoning take place when everybody else wanted to see this woman die? And I'm going to say it's in the weirdest end of a chapter and beginning of a chapter. I think the last section of chapter 7 says something like, and everybody went home to their houses. Do you see that in there? Is that what it says? Like the last verse, the last sentence of chapter 7 says, and everyone went home to their houses. And in the first sentence of, of chapter 8 says, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. The Mount of Olives was this high vista. And if you went up to the Mount of Olives, you could literally look over all of Jerusalem. Can I just submit this? Everybody else went back to what they knew, and only Jesus went to a higher level. Only Jesus got a different perspective. He could see down over Jerusalem. This is the place where he would go and he would look out on the crowds and he would cry. He would weep over them because he'd have compassion because they were harassed. And so he looks out. He's the one that had a different perspective on the situation that they were encountering. I just want you to know this. You're never going to do supernatural things if all of your time is filled with natural things. Jesus went up to the Mount of Olives, right? And because he had to have heaven's perspective when this woman was caught in the act and thrown in front of him without even any cover. He had to have heaven's perspective. And he got it the night before. While everybody else was in their house sleeping, he was with the Father on the Mount of Olives. Now, I'm not saying that you should become a monk or a nun. Everybody say, thank goodness. And although maybe, I'm thinking at the end of 2020, there could be a huge increase in people that want to become monks and nuns, right? Like, just get me out of here, right? I'm not saying you have to do that. But what I am saying, I want you to hear me clearly, is time with God will change how we spend time with men. And time with God will change how we treat men. If I could, if I could just, like, wouldn't this be weird? It's just the way my mind works. If I could poke my head through the screen of everybody that's on social media, wouldn't that be a blast? You're just like hanging out, typing, and all of a sudden my head pops through your screen. <laughs> I want to do that. That would be so good if I could be God for the day, right? I would just say this. Have you been with God today to the church, to Christians? Have you spent time with the Father today? Have you spent as much time with the Father as you have been thinking about the best way to word what you're getting ready to post? Time with the Father changes time with men. Jesus went up. Everybody else went back to their house. Let me show you what happens. If we choose, listen, if we choose to throw these stones that we hold in our hands, if we choose to throw these, then we put ourselves in the place of the judge, the jury, and the executioner. We put ourselves in that place. And the problem is, that I know you think that you can do this, but you can't. We don't judge fairly. 
we're like loophole judges, right? We make sure that whatever judgment we render, we're the ones on the higher moral ground. I don't know if you realize this or not, but they broke the law trying to get Jesus to enforce the law. The very law that they knew, they broke it trying to get Jesus to do something to this woman. Because the laws that they're, that they're trying to carry out, Leviticus 20, verse 10, Deuteronomy 22, 22. Let me just read them to you. Leviticus first. If a man commits adultery with his neighbor's wife, both the man and the woman who have committed adultery must be put to death. Deuteronomy 22. If a man is discovered committing adultery, both he and the woman must die. In this way, you will purge Israel of such evil. Shoot, for all I know, the first thing that Jesus wrote in the dirt was, where's the dude? But they weren't going to bring the man because that wasn't their agenda. And when we take the stone in our hand and we decide to be the judge, jury, and executioner, we have an agenda that we want to carry out, we want to fulfill. There's a reason why we shame people publicly because we want to feel better about ourselves. And that's not what Jesus was about. Jesus knew that God's punishment, this is really critical, for sin would be placed on him at the cross. So when Jesus is having this encounter with this woman, he knows what's coming, right? I love this, John 8.10 in our story. He says, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? Just like circle that, John 8.10. But now think about this, Romans 8.34 Paul's writing this later on, Romans 8.34. I think he's thinking about this story when he writes it. And he starts off that verse with, who then will condemn us? No one. Why? Because Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us. And he is sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand pleading for us. Turn to the person around you and say, guess what? Jesus is praying for me right now. Jesus is praying for you right now. And because he's praying for you right now, who's going to condemn me? Nobody. Because of the cross. Nobody's going to condemn me because of the cross. Can I tell you this? This is important. When we throw stones at people, we negate the cross. So the minute that you pick up a stone, metaphorically speaking, and you throw it at somebody, There's a reason why you're doing that. And the reason why you're doing it is because punishment is the most natural thing to do when we're offended. But it negates the cross. It negates the fact that all the punishment was poured out on Jesus. And so there's no reason to throw the stone unless we just want to feel better, more superior, morally superior. So what does it mean to read this story? On this side of the cross, I tell you all to say stuff to the people around you all the time. Tell somebody right now, I'm blessed. Can I tell you why you're blessed? Everybody say why. It's got nothing to do with your bank account. Some of y'all are like, no kidding, right? No kidding. The reason why we're blessed is because we get to read the Bible looking back at the cross. So when we read this story, we already know what forgiveness looks like. Jesus is going through this story saying, hey, like, if you've never committed this sin, feel free to throw the stone. Who's the only person in the story that could have thrown a stone? Not a trick question. 
I believe in this side. Who is the only person in the story that could have thrown a stone? I knew it. See, they're so good. Jesus. And he's the one saying not to. Because he knew what he was going to do at the cross. We get to read the story having already seen forgiveness. Ephesians 4.32 says this. Instead, we don't have time to read the whole context, but he's just talking about all the ways we should not treat one another. And then he says, instead, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. How? Just as God through Christ has forgiven you. I don't know this for sure. We don't know what happened to this lady after the story. But I bet you, I would, well, I'm not going to say I bet because that will offend you. Um, And you have rocks. I'm going to guess that after this moment in her life, guess what I bet this woman never took part in? A stoning. I bet she never one time picked up a stone to throw it at somebody else after this moment. This woman lived out what we're supposed to live out. Forgive one another even as God forgave you through Christ Jesus. Now, if I actually gave you this quiz and said, raise your hand if you think that you were good enough to save You're not going to raise your hand because you know that's not the Christian answer, right? The Christian answer is, I'm terrible. I shouldn't. I killed Jesus. We know what we're supposed to say. But can I just humbly submit this? We live like we were a really good choice for God. And everybody else, they really need to be punished. The Pharisees tried to make a point. Jesus made a difference. Can I just tell you that I think the church today is really busy making points and we're not doing a really good job of making a difference. If the Pharisees could have made their point, the woman would have been dead. But because Jesus made a difference, the woman's life was changed. I think we're called to make a difference. I'm not sure that we're called to make points. I think that maybe if believers started living out what we're learning in this story, social media would go out of business. Because all social media is is points. There's no doubt about it. Listen to this last statement. Forgiveness sounds like stones hitting the dirt. Now we don't have any dirt here. (laughs) We do have concrete. But that's what forgiveness sounds like. This woman is literally on on the ground like this. There's no way she's looking up because she's prepared to be stoned. And I don't know if you've studied stoning, y'all. But the people who threw the first stones were the ones who accused And they would usually get a big enough stone that it would do enough damage that the person would die immediately. But lots of times they didn't. And so after the first big stones were thrown, everybody else started picking up stones and just just piling on. She was ready for that. So she's not looking at them eye to eye. And Jesus isn't looking at them either. He's still doodling in the dirt. 
And as he's doodling names or whatever he's doodling, where's the dude, whatever he's writing, all you hear are just rocks. That's all she hears. And she must have been thinking, I mean, I was expecting to hear rocks hitting something. Why am I not feeling any pain when they do? And at some point, it gets quiet. And Jesus' question is simple. Where are your accusers? I don't even know if she looked up at that point. I think she just guessed there's no one here to accuse me. And he said, I'm not going to accuse you either. Go and sin no more. So can I ask you this question? If we know what we can do with stones in our hands, the first week of our stone series, I want you to know this. What can you do with the stone in your hand? You can drop them. As believers, you are called to drop them. And here's the question. If we know that we're called to drop them, why don't we? And I have the answer. Aren't you glad? You're not going to like it. But this is why we don't drop the stones. It's because we don't want people to get away with sin. It's because sometimes I think, If we can teach them a lesson, then they'll stop trampling on the grace of God. Can I just take a minute and set you free? God can take care of himself. You don't have to defend God. You don't have to punish people to get God's point across to them. And the reason that we don't forgive It's because we don't want people to get away with it. And we think if we forgive them, then they'll never learn their lesson. Can I tell you this? God actually has chosen forgiveness to be his instrument to lead people to holiness. That sounds weird, doesn't it? Can I show you this in Scripture? One Scripture, and then we'll close this out. Psalm 130, verses 3 and 4. Here's what it says. Lord. If you kept a record of our sins, who, oh Lord, could ever survive? Because there's a lot of sins, right? Listen to this next statement. But if you offer forgiveness, but you offer forgiveness that we might learn to what? Fear you. See, God's kingdom is so different from how we think. We think if, if, if I offer Wendy forgiveness, then Wendy goes, Phew, I got away with that one. I can just keep hurting Paul. She would never actually do that. It's a totally crazy example. But you think if you let that person off the hook, they'll just keep hurting you. So if we let people off the hook, they'll just keep sinning. You should preach about sin a whole lot more. I'd rather preach about the cross, which deals with sin. And as we preach about sin and the cross, guess what happens? According to Psalms 130 verse 4, as God offers forgiveness... People learn to fear him. They begin to have this holy like, my goodness, you're a holy God and you forgave me? Are you kidding me? And you start to hold a value about that forgiveness. I don't want, to, I don't want that to be cheapened. I can't believe he forgave me. And if he forgave me, I want to forgive other people. So here's your big idea. It's, a, it's a, probably a weirdly worded big idea, but here we go. Being wholly forgiven by God leads to a holy fear of God. Holy forgiven causes us to have holy fear. And I don't mean like, oh, he's going to kill me because the punishment was poured out on Jesus. It's a holy fear like, oh, my goodness. 
what kind of a God is this who forgives my sin? And when you experience that kind of forgiveness, he just wants you to pass that along to the people that you encounter. And I want to call you to that this morning. Here's how we're going to end out this, end this morning. They're going to lead us in that song, Oh, Come to the Altar. And guess what you're, you're going to do? You're going to come to the altar. And you're going to drop your stone. It's going to be loud. Don't be freaked out. Just drop it in the wheelbarrow. Okay? Because that's what you're called to do. Father, I ask that you would move right now in this moment. There's nothing really magic about dropping a stone, but I believe this, God. Some of us have carried the weight of being your defender. Which is so odd because you're the one that defends us. And I pray that as we release these stones into this wheelbarrow, I pray that when we hear our stone hit, that something would drop off of us, God, that we would be set free, that we would no longer carry the burden and the weight of being your defender, and that we would be free to pass to others the forgiveness that you gave to us. In your name, Jesus. Amen. As they start to sing, you just come on. And we can do the same thing, section by section, if you'd like. Just drop that rock in the wheelbarrow and then head back to your seat.
Hey, why don't you take those empty hands and lift them to the Lord? God, I thank you that this morning as we walk out of here, we walk out a little bit lighter. We don't have to carry around those rocks, those stones. We don't have to carry around weapons in our hands looking for the target. God, we're free to lift hands to you. We're free to remember the cross. Lord, I pray that you would continue, God, to point us to a Savior who paid the price for our sins. And so while we claim, God, that powerful promise from Romans 8, 34, who then can condemn us? No one because of Jesus. God, we make a commitment now to as well offer that same freedom to the people that we encounter as we walk out. Who then will we condemn? No one. No one. And we will point people to the cross where they will find healing more than judgment. Where they will find peace, God, because you took on the punishment. Just before we leave, I need to ask you this question. You can keep your eyes closed or you can open them. It doesn't matter to me. If you've never chosen to follow this Jesus that we've talked about this morning, I'm calling you to the cross. I'm calling you to the altar, to the place where you can meet with him without stones in your hands. You can meet the man who took on flesh, God who took on flesh and went to that cross for you to pay the price for your sin so that you can walk out of here this morning going, who's going to condemn me? No one. Jesus, Christ Jesus paid the price for my salvation. And if you've never made that decision, this morning when we say amen and people are walking to the back to go out the door, I'm going to be right up at the front. I'd love to meet you and pray with you. I know last week that was the greatest honor of the whole day was leading a man to the salvation of Jesus Christ at the end of the service. And if you're here this morning, do not hold back. You come find me. We'll lead you to the cross. Lord, I pray that this week, God, plenty of opportunity for sure to jump in there and throw stones. But I pray that we would be seen as different. Because we're going to make a difference more than we're going to make a point. Because we've been wholly forgiven, we're going to live this week in a holy fear of who you are. And we're going to carry a message of forgiveness to people who need it the most. And I thank you, God, for your faithfulness in healing us, God, in healing our city, in healing our land. And I thank you that as we leave today, we just want to say this out loud, God. You are a God who does not change. You are a God who is not shaken. We belong to a kingdom that will not be shaken. We put our faith securely in the King who sits on the throne this morning. In your name, Jesus, amen.